Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 as we continue our study through the book of Acts on through the, the New Testament. And we'll be looking at verses 14 through 52 today. Last week we left off where Paul uh, was preaching in, in, in Cyprus and him and Barnabas uh, were met by a sorcerer and um, the, the, the governor, Sergius Paulus, you know, wanted to hear what Barnabas and Paul had to say. And uh, this sorcerer, this uh, uh, false prophet, was trying to keep the governor, Sergius Paulus, away from Paul and Barnabas uh, from hearing the word. Again, maybe fearing for his job that if his, the governor got saved, that um, he, being a false prophet, uh, would no longer have a position. And then when Paul, you know, discerned who he was and that he was a false prophet, Paul, you know, as a judgment of God, blinded him temporarily. And then uh, uh, the governor, after seeing Paul demonstrate the power of God, uh, he came to know Christ. And so uh, after that, Paul's moved on. And that's where we pick up now. Uh, let's look at verses 14 through 15. I'm sorry, yeah, verses uh, 14 through 15. And it reads, But when they departed from Perga, that is Paul and Barnabas, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So Paul and Barnabas, again, they, as again just mentioned, after leaving Perga, they went to Pisidia in Antioch. Now the usual thing for Paul to do was to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sit down, just like everybody else. Now Paul, when he went there, he didn't push himself. All right, he didn't have any going there with any intentions of, of making himself known or, or doing anything, you know, that that, you know, would be out of the ordinary. Whatever happened when he got there would depend on other people. Now, the order of service would go like this. There would be the usual prayers. Then there would be the scripture readings. And then Paul and Barnabas would respond like ordinary members of the congregation, when Paul and Barnabas first came into the synagogue, the elders there of the synagogue, they probably met Paul and Barnabas. They probably introduced themselves and, and greeted them and welcomed into the synagogue. But when visitors would come from Jerusalem, the elders of the synagogue, they would invite the visitor to say something because they wanted to hear a word from the religious center, you know, coming from Jerusalem. Now, what Paul would normally do was to wait until he was given a chance to speak. And if he was given that chance to speak, then he would go for it. He didn't go to the synagogue hoping that he, get, that he was going to get invited to lunch or to, you know, to talk about the latest philosophies or politics with the religious leaders there. Paul, and Paul went there purposely looking for a chance to preach Jesus. And when they did ask Paul if he'd like to say something, you can be sure that he wanted to say something because he had something to say. And that was the whole reason for Paul being there. This is the first recorded sermon of Paul preached in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. 
Now, the Holy Spirit sovereignly arranged the circumstances for Paul, opening the door for Paul to preach the gospel. Now, let's look at verses 16 through 25 as Paul now prepared them for the message. Verses 16 through 25. And it reads, Then Paul stood up and monitoring with his hands said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the, promises, the, promise, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. <clears throat> so after Paul's invited in and, you know, again, asked the visitors to, 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 if they had anything to say, uh, Paul was asked to say something. And so it says here in the beginning of verse 16, it says that Paul stands up. And he motions with his hand to get their attention. And then he started his message. He was addressing the men and the brethren. Now the men were the Jews who were there. The brethren were those who feared God, referring to the Gentile proselytes. Paul commanded them to listen. To listen because what he was about to say was the most important message they'd ever hear in their life. And when Jesus was teaching the disciples about the revealed light in himself, he said, notice in Luke 8, 18, he says, Therefore, take heed how you hear. Take heed how you hear. And this isn't the only place where Jesus refers to the way people hear the preaching of the truth. Over and over again. Jesus, or Paul would interject into his teachings. I'm sorry, Jesus would interject into his teachings. He that his ears to hear, let him hear. Because he knew, Paul knew, and he was very concerned that his biggest problem wasn't what he was preaching, but the way people heard it. The way people hear is still the preacher's troubling concern today. And it's what often discourages the preacher the most. When God sent Ezekiel to preach, he said to Ezekiel, he said, the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. Ezekiel 3.7. Well, then why send them if they're not going to listen? Because the people have to be given a chance to hear the word of God, the gospel. Because God never brings judgment until they've had a fair chance to hear and to respond to the gospel message. 
And that's why a lot of uh, preachers will go home bummed out, wondering why his preaching had failed. When it wasn't the preacher who was failed, but the hearers. Listen, there's no higher privilege and no bigger responsibility than hearing the gospel, the actual word of God. And Jesus said to an inner circle of true hearers in Matthew 13, 16, he said, blessed are your ears for they hear. But to other hearers, he said this in Matthew 13, 14, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. So it would really be a good thing to pray this prayer. Lord, help me to listen with an attitude of worship and give me the ear that really hears, hears the, the, worship, the, the word to the point of salvation. Paul intended to present Jesus as the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for. But you see, he knew that he had to first get their attention, so he starts out by telling them something that was dear to their hearts, the hearts of his fellow Jews, and that is God's divine care for Jerusalem, for Israel. The history of God's care started when the God of Israel chose their fathers. God is in total control of history. He sovereignly chose our fathers, he said in verse 17. Speaking of the nation, uh, again, speaking of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And he said he made his covenant with them. And after them, God made the people great while they were in Egypt. And this refers to his sovereign purpose being achieved in their increasing numbers and in their strength and in their influence. But we read in Exodus 1.8 that eventually a new king arose in Egypt. And he didn't know Joseph. So the new, king was, uh, the new king being afraid of the power of the Israelites, you know, as he sees their numbers increasing, he made them slaves. And he cruelly mistreated them. But God didn't forget his people. And Paul said with an uplifted arm, he led them out of Egypt. And the uplifted arm, it speaks of God's power. And it became the common way of expressing God's deliverance of the nation from Egyptian bondage. And he goes on to say here, after the exodus, God continued to take care of them for about 40, uh, about 40 years. And notice it says that God put up with them. What a sad statement. God put up with them in the wilderness. In spite of their complaining, he, he took care of them. He put up with them. God cared for the nation of Israel during the 40 years of wilderness wandering. And he put up with their sin and he put up with their rebellion. Which was seen in their complaining. They, they complained about not having any food. They complained about the manna. They complained about not having any water, not having any meat. They complained about their leaders. On and on and on it went. And yet God took care of his people, even though they were rebellious. And Paul said he put up with their sin because they, God's people, had an important role, a key role to play in his plan for history. After their 40 years of wandering, God brought a new generation of Israel into the promised land. 
And when he had destroyed seven nations, as it's mentioned in verse 19 here, in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land you know, as an inheritance, which took about 450 years. And all through this whole time, God showed them his power and his care and his faithfulness towards Israel. It's in Deuteronomy 7.1 that lists the seven nations that were destroyed. And then after they were destroyed, God distributed their land as an inheritance to his people. Now from the captivity in Egypt to the distribution of the land, Paul said it took about 450 years. 450 years had had elapsed. 400 years of captivity in Egypt, 40 years of wilderness wandering, and about 10 years from the crossing of the Jordan to the division of the land in Joshua 14.1. And after they took possession of the land, the Israelites still continued to be unfaithful. But God continued to be faithful. When they were oppressed by their enemies, God gave them judges or deliverers until Samuel the prophet came. And now Samuel, he links the period of the judges and the kings. And he was the last judge and he anointed the first king, Saul. Samuel was both a judge and a prophet. But because they didn't trust God and they wanted to be like the other nations, Israel asked for a king. And even though they were really rejecting the Lord, God gave them Saul for 40 years. But Paul was proud and he was stubborn and he was disobedient to God's word. So then God removed him as king. And even though God graciously allowed him to reign for 40 years. Then after God removed Saul from the throne, he raised up David. He made David king to replace Saul. And David was obedient. And God said in this passage here, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So now, even though it says that God found a man after his own heart and it was willing to do all my will, this didn't mean that David was perfect. And we know that. David was far from perfect. But you see, he was a man who sees his sin for what it is, and David would repent of his sin. So again, David was sensitive to God. He was sensitive to the Spirit and sensitive to the things that he did. The Lord's chastening did a refining work in David's life, and we see that mentioned in the Psalms. In Psalm 119.67, David said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In Psalm 119, 71 and 72, the psalmist said, my, sur- my suffering was good for me. Why? Because it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Psalm 119, 75, he said, I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me. Why? Because I needed it. See, that's why David was, was, a, was a man after God's own heart. He recognized when he messed up. He learned by the things that he did when he messed up. And it taught him to follow God and the importance of his word. And he saw that he needed what God had done to him, really for him. David could rightly be called a man after God's own heart because his greatest desire came to be doing God's will, which was unlike Saul. And it was from David's family, David's family line, that the Messiah came from. 
So not only does Old Testament history point to Jesus Christ, but so does Old Testament prophecy. John was not the Messiah. And he kept saying, who do you think that I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to lose. He mentions that here in verse 25. Now John's ministry was well known to those that Paul was talking to here. Because he had followers in Asia Minor at this time. And everyone he was talking to must have known about John's preaching about Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. Now let's look at verses 26 through 37 because now Paul makes the statement. He prepared them in verses 14 through 25. And now in these verses, he's going to make the statement. Let's look at verses 26 through 37. Now he says, Men and brethren... Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them, notice, in in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that uh, that, that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled, notice, all that was written concerning him, now that Jesus had fulfilled all of these prophecies that were written about him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings that promise which made the, uh, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. <clears throat> so Paul had reached an important, port here, uh, important point in his sermon here. And he stopped to point it out to the men, again the God-fearing Gentiles, and the brethren, the sons of Abraham. Paul said the word of this salvation given by John has been sent to us. It's been sent out to us. And it was proclaimed and made available to everyone who believes, Paul said in Romans 1.16. And then Paul straight out blames the Jews for killing Christ. And he says his resurrection, he says many saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was witnessed by many for many days. This is the fifth time in the book of Acts that the apostles said that they were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that was the key event. Verse 30 here says, but God raised him from the dead. Paul has given them the gospel. Verse 26, he says, the word of this salvation. And in verse 32, he says, and the glad tidings. He says, Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again. 
And because Paul was talking to people in a synagogue, he used Old Testament scriptures to back up what he was telling them. In verse 33 here, he quotes Psalm 2, verse 7, which refers to the resurrection of Christ, not his birth. And in verse 34 here, he quoted Isaiah 55, 3, referring to the covenant that God made with David, that is the sure mercies of David. God promised David the Messiah would come from him in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. This was an everlasting covenant with a throne that would be forever. Now, if Jesus is the Messiah, and he is, he died, but never resurrected. This covenant, can, you know, if, if, again, if Jesus is the Messiah, and then died, but he never resurrected, then this covenant could never be fulfilled. So Jesus had to be raised from the dead, or the covenant would be worthless. It would be false. And then in verse 35 here, he quoted from Psalm 1610, the same passage that Peter quoted in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 24 through 28. The Jews considered Psalm 16 to be a messianic psalm. And it was clear that this promise did not apply to David. Why? Because David was dead. He was buried and he was gone. And he saw corruption. So this had to apply to Jesus the Messiah. Now look at verse 38. Therefore, that's in light of what, he, what Paul just said in the previous verses. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. This is the mighty grace of God. The, only, the, the one that they crucified is the one that God offers the forgiveness of sins through. It's only through Jesus Christ that one's sins can be forgiven. God was giving Israel a second chance. They could still accept Christ as their Savior, their Messiah. Verse 39 here now is the application. And by Him, that is Christ, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What the law could not do for the guilty sinner, Jesus could do. The law could not justify the guilty sinner. The law could only convict and condemn the guilty sinner, but it could never take away the sinner's sin. It could only cover it. Nor could the law justify any single person. The law looked at a person's behavior. The law looked at a person's works, and the law judged them. And the law found that they fell short and that they were guilty. But through Christ's death, we can be justified. Man, we can be pardoned, we can be exonerated, we can be cleared. We, we can, you know, it, it's, you know, it's just a total new birth. Jesus died for us, and D Jesus died as us. He died in our place. And when we accept Him by faith as, a, as, as substitute and Savior, it's a done deal. He takes my depravity. He takes my sin in the sacrifice of Calvary and we receive His righteousness in the offering that He made of Himself on Calvary. Now we can be accepted in Him. God doesn't see any sin in us. Can you imagine? It's just so hard to, to see, even think about that He can't see any sin in me. Just the beauty and the righteousness of His Son. 
the law and all of the sacrifices for all those 1,400 years could not, could never do that. Verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. God only draws us and he woos us to him. But you know what? I'm sorry, God not only woos us and draws us to him, he also warns us as well. He warns us, he says, such a great salvation, you know, is not to be neglected. He said there in verse 40, beware lest what has been spoken to you in the prophets come upon you. In other words, to turn this down, to turn this great salvation down is to commit the impartable sin and to crucify the Son of God all over again. Hebrews 10, 28-29 says this in the New Living Translation. Anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now think of that. This was the law. Anybody who refused to obey the law of Moses, man, they were put to death without mercy. Now just the, and then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Man, if, if the sinner who refused to obey the law of Moses was, was put to death for disobeying the law, how much more punishment deserved those who have taken the Son of God, the sacrifice for our sins, and, and, like, and tra- trampled upon His blood, insulted that blood, disdained the Holy Spirit who brought us that mercy. The writer of Hebrews also said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How will we escape the judgment of God? You know, if we neglect so great a salvation, Christ's death upon the cross for us. Verse 41. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Here Paul quotes Habakkuk 1.5. He wasn't just thinking about the Roman invasion that Jesus prophesied about. He was also thinking about the horrors of eternity for the ones who rejected Jesus Christ. He was warning them, you better watch your step. Those who rejected Jesus Christ could surely expect judgment to come. They would die in their sin. They would perish in their sin. Verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And they wanted to hear more. The Gentiles wanted to hear more of what Paul had to say. This new preacher didn't sound like all the rest that they had heard. Paul wasn't wasn't partial to the law. And he wasn't repeating what a lot of the others had heard and was just passing on to them. It wasn't hearsay. But the authorities of the synagogue, they weren't too sure about all of this. This was new to them anyway. They had to check it out. Now, 
the, the rulers of the synagogue, they may have shut down the meeting just for that reason. Oh, this, this, is way too, this is too much. This is too much for us to take in all in one day. And, and they wanted time to, to most likely check it out. They needed to check it out more. Instead of gladly receiving the message, they searched it out to see if, if they could find anything wrong with it. Now, we, we need to understand that God doesn't hand out brochures for us to check out and then throw away if we don't like the offer in them. God says he commands us to repent. Acts 17, 30 says, Truly these times of ignorance of God, uh, of God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. At one time, our, our ignorance was overlooked, but not anymore. We have the light. We have the word of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Paul said, Behold, now is, the accept, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Verses 43 through 44. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. What a blessing. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving, the people kept begging them, Hey guys, we want you to, stay. We want you to come back on the next Sabbath. We want, we want you to tell us more about these things. Paul's preaching about the Messiah blew them away. I mean... They had, he had really grabbed their interest. He had really gotten their attention and they wanted to hear more. And then Paul, in verse 43, he, he exhorted them, hey guys, continue in the grace of God. Continue walking in the grace of God. He, said, he was saying, no matter what pressures are put on you, no matter how they might come down on you for believing in the gospel message, no matter what the consequences are, continue in the grace of God. No matter how others would try to get you to go back to the worthless path that you were on, continue to walk in the grace of God. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, notice, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. The synagogue Jews had never seen anything like this before. They had never seen such huge crowds attend the synagogue meetings. And they were envious, they got jealous, and they reacted violently to the gospel. They talked about it, they, they contradicted it, and Paul said they even blasphemed it. Now sin, I'm sorry, so you see here that this door now was closed to Paul. This door was now closed to Paul, so what does Paul do now? Well, what does a servant do when a door is closed? He looks for another one. He looks for an open one. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, notice, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we, notice, we, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas made an important decision here. Since the Jews didn't want the gospel, they were going to take it directly to the Gentiles. By rejecting God's word, he says, you guys are passing judgment upon yourselves. And scripture confirms that if you go to hell, it's because you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life and heaven. 
Because the same word of God that saves you, will re- if you receive it, will also condemn you if you reject it. Verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us. Notice. For the Lord so has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul quotes here Isaiah 49.6 as his basis for going to the Gentiles. Paul never did anything without scriptural authority, and you know what? It's a good rule for us to follow as well. Paul's decision to go to the Gentiles himself, that wasn't because, he wasn't throwing a temper tantrum here because, you know, they were, they, they were getting angry at him and blaspheming God's word. He, it wasn't, he wasn't throwing a temper tantrum against the Jewish authorities. What he was doing was based on the word of God and the will of God. It wasn't spite that was making Paul move on. It wasn't because of the, the, the contradiction and, and the, the, the bad-mouthing of Paul and, and, and the Word of God. So again, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't spite. If they refused the privilege of taking the Word to the Gentiles, Paul would do it himself with the full support of God's Word. Verse 48. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Notice that. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Here you have the doctrine of sovereign divine election and human will. And it was God chose those who would be saved, and yet... You had to choose God to be saved. It's a divine mystery. It's hard to understand. And our little, little limited minds can't understand it. But I remember uh, Pastor Chuck one time talking about divine election and, and human will. And he talked about when he was reading about it, he was, you know, just really... He was really trying to comprehend it. He was trying to understand it. How can, how can God choose? And then you, you have the responsibility to choose God. He just, you know, he was just got frustrated. He said he got up from his desk and he was, you know, walking around the office. And he said, Lord, he says, he says I, I don't understand this. He said, Pastor Chuck, I didn't call you to understand. I called you to believe it. Hey, if we can understand the things of God, then he's not God. I don't want to be able to understand God. Even though sometimes I'd like to, but in reality, no. Because He's God. And, and I want a God who's way, way wiser than I am. But it's a biblical doctrine. And we, we just, you know, like, like God told Pastor Joe, we're not called to understand, we're called to believe it because the Bible teaches both. And though God is sovereign... And he has chosen us before the world began. God also adorned that we have to use our free will choice that he's given us. The choice is up to you. And I heard it explained fairly simple one time. Well, how do I know if I'm chosen? Well, except Christ. Then you'll know you were chosen. And it was a picture, and somebody else used the example of being in heaven and here's this door and it says, whosoever will enter in. And then that person went through and behind it, the door said, chosen from the foundation of the world. So again, you know, you want to know if you were chosen? Accept Christ. If you don't accept Christ, you weren't chosen. 
But again, that's the doctrine, again, the, the sovereign divine election and, and human will. Uh, God's given it to us. Uh, it's, it's up to us to choose. Verse 49 through 51. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came down to Iconium. So the good news was being preached and the word of the Lord spread all through the whole area. Because they, could successfully, they, because they couldn't successfully debate Paul and Barnabas when it came to God's word, the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they stirred up a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. They cleverly used the religious and respected women of the city and the leading men of the city to go talk to the authorities, get the authorities all riled up and, and, you know, get, to get them to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. Verse 51 here describes the sad results of the unbelieving Jews as Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and they went to Iconium. Now, what, when they shake off the, the dust of their feet, this act symbolized a terrible warning that Jesus gave in Luke 10, verses 10 through 12. When Jesus had sent out the 70 disciples, this is, this is what he told them. Whatever city you enter in and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. The Jews in Paul's day were careful not to bring Gentile dust back into Israel. And by their act, by what they did, Paul and Barnabas were basically saying that they considered the Jews at Antioch to be no better than the pagans. There couldn't be a stronger condemnation. Look at verse 52. And the disciples were filled with the joy, with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Those Jews that rejected the gospel left in their stubborn unbelief. While verse 52 tells us the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. As Paul and Barnabas headed for Iconium, they left behind two totally different groups of people. The rejecting, prejudiced, hate-filled Jews and the joyous, spirit-filled Christians. These last few verses show us the clear choice every living soul faces this morning. You either trust in Jesus Christ and are saved, or you reject Him and you're damned. There's nothing in the middle. There's no place where you can stay neutral. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 12, 30, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. He didn't give us another choice. He didn't give us another way out. You're either for me or against me. You receive me. Or you reject me. Father, we come before you and again we thank you for the gospel message, God, that, that Paul gave here in the synagogue and to all that were in attendance, God. And it's the same gospel message that you give us this morning, Lord. Father, we either receive it and are saved or we reject it and we're damned for all eternity. 
And Lord, I pray this morning that your spirit is spoken. And God, that your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has opened the hearts of those that recognize their need for Christ. And Father, I pray this morning that for those that heard and, and believed and, and want to receive, that, that God, they would desire to, to make that commitment this morning, God. As the word said, that God commands us to repent and that today is the day of salvation. Now, not tomorrow, because we, not, we may not have tomorrow. And if you're here this morning or if you're watching via internet and you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to say this prayer out loud, the sinner's prayer, and, and you say it, repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you I am a sinner. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me now to follow you all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for saving me, dying on the cross for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you said that prayer, the Bible says that your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and if God was to take you home today, uh, you'd go to heaven. You'd be in glory with Him for all eternity. Get yourself a Bible if you don't have one, and begin reading the Gospel of John, and let's go on through and learn about Jesus Christ, the one who saved you. Find you a Bible teaching church that teaches the Gospel. All right, the teacher.